This is Science Moab, a radio show exploring the science and learning about the scientists from Southeast Utah and the Colorado Plateau. I'm Christina, and on today's show, we talk about why so many local juniper trees have died in the past few years. It's a good show recorded for you from Moab, Utah. Stay tuned. What is actually killing these junipers? Was it the drought? Was it some other insect or pathogen? You know, this tree species has, for the most part, survived every other severe drought in the last 20 years. And I think the next step is really figuring out why juniper and why now. Today on Science Moab, we're speaking with Stephen Kannenberg. Stephen is an ecologist at the University of Utah. There, he studies how plants are affected by drought and how a 20-year dry spell in the southwest is killing some of the desert's toughest trees. We begin our interview with Stephen explaining the ecology of pinyon juniper woodlands. Pinyon juniper woodlands, in general, are one of the most extensive forest types in the western United States. I think they cover around 10 states and spill kind of into northern Mexico. And there are a couple different constituent pinyon and juniper species. But in general, this ecosystem really is characterized by these two dominant tree species. And the species down here in southeastern Utah are the two-needle pinyon and the Utah juniper. And these trees really have contrasting drought responses. So if you're looking for a simplified ecosystem to understand the effects of drought, it's really nice to go into these pinyon juniper forests and find, you know, pinyon pine, which is a little bit more drought sensitive, and juniper, which is, um, depending on who you talk to, probably one of the most drought tolerant trees in the West. So you mentioned kind of the two species that we have, the pinyon and juniper species. What other things are living in these pinyon juniper woodlands that we have around here? Yeah, so the answer differs depending on where you are. While the pinyon, the juniper is definitely kind of the constant, there's a lot of different species of understory vegetation. But in this area in southeastern Utah and where I do a lot of my research, it's really dominated by a couple of different grass species and a lot of sage. What kind of like climate, soil, elevation um, characteristics are going into pinyon juniper woodland? Well, in general, they tend to, especially the ecosystems here in the southeastern part of Utah, they tend to be in areas that are a little bit colder and have a little bit more moisture than you might find in a desert ecosystem. And a lot of these places have really rocky soils with really sandy soils and not all that dense in terms of other vegetations. So tell me a little bit more about that. So, you know, these different strategies that you're talking about to drought, what does that mean? Yeah, so some tree species are very conservative with their water during drought. So they close their stomata, the little pores on the underside of the leaf, right away at the onset of drought stress, which means they conserve water, but they can't photosynthesize. And other tree species tend to be... Um, a little bit more risky during drought stress, meaning they keep their stomata open so they can keep photosynthesizing, but at the risk of losing water and a lot of consequences for the plant's hydraulic system if the drought stress gets bad enough. So that's really interesting that these plants, you know, have these different responses to drought. And I just am curious when you say drought, you're talking about the drought that these plants evolved with in this ecosystem, right? We're talking about just the, the normal drought fluctuations that we see in the Southwest. 
kind of, but also something a little bit new. So obviously out here, drought or just dry conditions in general really isn't anything new. But in the past few decades, we've kind of seen a new type of drought emerge, which is termed these global change type droughts, or I think another term for it is a hotter drought. And it's exactly what it sounds like. It's where you have these periods of anomalously high temperature that co-occur with a normal drought in the sense of there's not a lot of water in the soil. And if that wasn't bad enough, in the American Southwest, we've been in this 20-year-long, they termed it a mega drought, which turned out to be the second driest multi-decadal period in the last 1,200 years. So things are a little bit bad around here. So we're having these mega droughts. We're in this mega drought. There were these mortality events in the past related to how the the different strategies that these two different tree types use to respond to the drought. And so you said that we are seeing more mortality than of, of pinions. That's right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So pretty much every drought in the region in the last 20 years or so has been followed by pinion pines dying back which makes sense given what we know about their physiology and how they're, in general, a lot more drought-sensitive than junipers. But two years ago, in 2018, we had another really severe drought. By some metrics, it was the most severe drought here in the past, you know, 40 years or so. But this time, in certain pockets of southeastern Utah, we're seeing these really kind of hot spots of juniper mortality. While the pinion is dying back a little bit, it's not dying back to um, as large of an extent. As large as an extent as the pinion. Yeah, so what's going on there? What are the differences in these droughts that we're at one time you're seeing this one tree species die and then the next time you're seeing this other tree species die? Yeah, so that's the big question. And, you know, we've been working on this problem for two years now. And I think the next step is really figuring out why juniper and why now. So as a kind of a first step for this research, we really just wanted to map the spatial severity and extent of this mortality and then to figure out what is actually killing these junipers. Was it the drought? Was it some other insect or pathogen? Turns out that, yes, it was just pretty much entirely the effects of this drought that are killing off the juniper. But as I mentioned before, you know, this tree species has, for the most part, survived every other severe drought in the last 20 years. And the question of why juniper and why now is such an important one, because, you know, maybe they've reached this kind of tipping point where you've had this 20-year mega drought and long-term drying trend that's been amplified by anthropogenic climate change. So maybe they've just been pushed to the point past which they can't really survive in some of these regions. If it's such an extreme event, why don't you see both trees dying? So the idea here is that the areas where we've seen a ton of juniper mortality, which tend to be these kind of hotter, lower elevation sites that were more affected by the 2018 drought, The idea is that not many pinions could occur there in the first place just because it is a very inhospitable environment. And my idea is the the pinions that can persist in those sites are there because they have kind of really deep water sources. So maybe they have a little tiny root that's wiggling its way down into a crack in the bedrock. It can access water sources that most of the other trees in that area can't. You know, 2018 wasn't that long ago. And I know a lot of people who live here who might be listening, you know, experienced 2018 and remember seeing the trees die you know you're talking about these mega droughts and these these conditions but can you go a little bit more into the specifics of like what was going on in 2018 that really maybe made this recipe for juniper death Mm -hmm. for these trees there are really kind of two crucial sources of water number one is the water from snow the past winter that's kind of stored deep in the soil and the other is these you know, fairly sporadic precipitation events that are occurring during the summer. And so 
we kind of had the perfect storm of drought conditions in 2018 where there was very, very low snowpack. So you started the season out already kind of at a disadvantage because there wasn't that much water in the soil. And then you had a really hot summer and it didn't rain all that much. And so there was this kind of double whammy of lack of precipitation that ultimately affected these trees. Are they tapping into deep groundwater reserves usually, or is it really just about the the last year's snow and then this year's rain? Mm -hmm. I, I think it's a combination of both. I mean, they're getting their water from wherever they can. In general, both of these species, but especially juniper, tend to have very, very deep roots, so they can access some of these really deep down sources of water. I'm just surprised that the recent amount of water, like the, that year's snow and this year's rain really are going to be the, the main contributing factors when I kind of in my mind, I imagine them just like somehow tapping into deep water and just being like, whatever, I'm fine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, being able to quantify how much deep water access a tree can get is really difficult, as is understanding anything below ground, right? So we're trying to work on some follow-up things to really get at that. But one interesting thing that we're seeing is that, you know, this juniper mortality following 2018 really isn't evenly spatially distributed across the landscape. It's really localized in these hot spots where we're seeing, you know, over half the stand dying back, whereas you might walk 100 or 200 meters in any direction and the trees are, you know, doing just fine. Maybe only 10 or 20 percent have died. And so one reason that we think that might be occurring that we're planning on looking into in the future is, you know, maybe there is this variation in soil properties or bedrock water access that can just change meter to meter on those really fine spatial scales. How did you find out about, like, what made you be like, we got to get to southern Utah and look at these junipers right now? What was what happened there? It was just a, a funny sequence of events. So I, I started my postdoc research at the University of Utah in the summer of 2018, like as this drought was occurring. And a couple months later, there was a retired professor who lives down in Blanding, who I guess got a drone and was flying it around, I'm assuming just for fun. And he saw all of these dead trees located around Blanding. And luckily he decided to reach out to people at the BLM and the Forest Service and the National Park Service. And eventually us up at the University of Utah got a hold of these videos. And it was just so striking that, you know, a couple months after this drought had ended, we saw this really, really drastic dieback in these hotspots around Blanding. And so we, we got this giant group of people from a number of different kind of government agencies and universities together. And we drove around in like a caravan of 10 different trucks near Blanding. And this guy was, you know, showing us all of these hotspots. And so it was just so puzzling that Juniper was dying back that quickly that we decided that we, we had to keep asking these questions. You said that, you know, the junipers were dying after the drought. So what's the actual process related to drought when you start seeing tree death? And then also what's actually causing the trees to die? Yeah. So with regards to the time it takes for these trees to die, you know, we haven't had that many great studies looking at it just because it's so rare in juniper. But there have been some experiments in the Southwest that have um, artificially simulated a drought on kind of a patch of these trees out in um, out in the wilderness and you know they found it took you know three years in a lot of cases for these junipers to start dying back and we're seeing it just in the span of a couple of months so that's incredibly surprising the time scale at which this is occurring and as for the mechanism that ultimately kills these trees that was an open question at the beginning so we teamed up with some entomologists at the forest service to 
see if there was any sort of insect or pathogen that was causing this. Turns out that the answer is most likely no. Ultimately, what ended up causing the dieback of these junipers was damage to the plant's hydraulic system. And by that, I mean the way that water flows from the soil through the plant xylem and out to the atmosphere. Water flows along this kind of pathway under negative tension. And negative tension is kind of a not very intuitive thing to understand. But an analogy I like to use is it's like the atmosphere is actually pulling on the water like you'd pull on a rubber band. And if you pull on that rubber band hard enough, it eventually breaks, right? Well, the analogous process in the water moving through the plant is little air bubbles get sucked in and semi-permanently or permanently block water flow through this plant. And if you're a tree and all of your xylem are blocked up by these little air bubbles, uh, you're in a lot of trouble because you can't photosynthesize and it's very difficult to recover from that damage. So what we ended up finding using a lot of different laboratory methods was that it was this hydraulic damage, these little bubbles in the juniper xylem that ultimately contributed to them dying back. How do you know that some weird event three years ago isn't what's causing these deaths? How do you relate it directly to the 2018 drought? You know, it's always some sort of contribution from a number of different events in the past that's ultimately contributing to the dieback of these trees. And it's really difficult to disentangle what time period is effect is ultimately going into this. But there's a very long memory of past stress events in a lot of these trees for a number of different reasons. One could be damage to the plant's hydraulic system, which can take years to recover from. Other stress events can, you know, cause physical damage to these trees, or they could be depleting their energy stores. So there are a lot of different ways that past climate events could be contributing to this current dieback. We don't have the measurements quite yet to tell what past climate events could be contributing to their dieback now, but we have plans to hopefully collect tree rings from all of these trees. And using those tree rings, we can go back in time and reconstruct their responses to past droughts under the hypothesis that, you know, maybe over all of these severe droughts we've seen in the past 20 years or so ago, these trees have just become progressively more and more weakened. And finally, 2018 was just the last one they could handle. Where were you collecting these tree samples from? Can you give me like exact locations? Because people love to hear the names of places they know, you know? Yeah, we have four of these plots up on Alkali Ridge, which is just northeast of Blanding. We set up a number of plots kind of along the road from Blanding over to Highway 261, and then four more plots on Highway 261, kind of ending at the Moki Dugway area. Cool. Good place to work. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, So, you know, you're finding all of this information related to why, you know, in the past, why the pinion currently, why the juniper are dying off. And you're, you know, taking all of this different climate information, understanding where this is happening on the landscape. And I was wondering kind of what you're thinking and, and what the what the takeaways are for, for these forests into the future. Yeah, that's really the ultimate question, isn't it? Um, is this dieback event something we're going to see continue on into the future? Or is this kind of a one-off freak event and the landscape is going to pretty much remain the same way that it has been. We were trying to really get at that question, or we hope to get at that question in the future by collecting a lot of different data on the traits of pinion and juniper and the soils and use some of these long-term climate projections to really be able to run a, a mathematical model to simulate how pinion juniper woodlands are going to respond to future 
um, both increases in mean temperature, but kind of wilder fluctuations between wet and drought conditions that we, we might be seeing across the region. Do you have a hunch? <laughs> Uh, my, my hunch is that things are just going to get hotter here and droughts are going to become more frequent and more severe. So I think in general, both of these tree species, especially at the lower end of their range where things are hotter and drier naturally, I think they're going to be a little bit in trouble unless these trees can acclimate in certain ways kind of on the spot to better cope with future droughts. Are these trees capable or is there the kind of flexibility in these trees that certain areas that have juniper are better able to handle this kind of thing? This might just be my bias here, but I think juniper is a pretty impressive species in terms of what it can do acclimation-wise during drought. Obviously, if, if you're a tree and there's a drought, one thing you can do to better survive future droughts is to perhaps grow more roots, especially into places where there is a lot of water access, potentially very deep down. But if you go out in some of these pinyon juniper woodlands and you take a close look at these juniper trees, you'll notice that they have a ton of branches that are just completely bare. And in many cases, you'll see this, you know, main stem rising out of the tree that has absolutely nothing on it and looks like it's been dead for decades. And then you see some really healthy foliage just kind of surrounding it lower down. So junipers are just very sectorial in this way. They can really quickly just kind of choose to lose all of that foliage to make themselves a little bit more drought tolerant because you won't be losing water through your leaves if you have less leaves. Cool. So then that ability gives you hope, maybe is a strong word that scientists don't like to use always, but hope <laughs> that, that there'll be the ability to adapt to these kind of different climatic norms moving forward. I think so. I think that's the hope. Unfortunately, though, we don't have a great understanding of what are the long-term effects of that acclimation process out there in nature? Like, is that just a short-term response that is really just kind of their last bet? Or is this really a sustainable long-term strategy for them to be able to persist uh, decades into the future? You know, you mentioned that this early observer in Blanding alerted you guys to the fact that these trees were dying. I'm curious if there's any kind of relationship with land managers, any kind of information sharing, um, because I'm sure that this is an issue very relevant to managers in this area. Yeah, so a lot of different land managers and government agencies have been really interested in what's going on, um, because obviously these pinyon juniper woodlands are incredibly vast and support a wide variety of uses that these land managers care about, primarily grazing and recreation. And so they're very keen on understanding the changes that are ongoing in a lot of these ecosystems. We have been in contact with a lot of these agencies trying to figure out the interactions between past land use history and what we might be seeing now. For example, you've seen that some people really don't like pinyon juniper woodlands and think they tend to be detrimental for grazing just because there tends to be less grass and shrubs that a lot of different animals can eat. And so we've just seen a lot of management across the region for the removal of pinyon juniper woodlands historically and understanding the interactions between those past land management histories and the drought responses we're seeing right now is really important moving forward. You know, most of the land is owned by the BLM down there, but there are these isolated pockets of land that are owned by the Utah State Land Trust, and they have different land management practices than the BLM. And so you can go down there and find some of these little grid cells of state-owned land, and there's one in particular that I'm down near all the time, and it was chained sometime in the 70s. And what chaining is, is just this fairly destructive land use practice to remove pinyon juniper trees to support more grass growth and grazing. And, you know, this land management exercise was done 50 years ago. 
and the landscape looks so starkly different from what's right next to it that did not have a history of chaining. And I can say anecdotally, that patch of land does not have as much dieback as we're seeing in other areas. So there's potentially some interesting interactions between you know, having more vegetation, which in turn extracts more water from the soil, which you know, might make them more susceptible to drought. Very interesting. Well, Steve, I just really appreciate you telling us about your work. And I know a lot of locals will be really curious to hear about their trees. So thanks for studying them and and telling us all about it. Yeah, thanks a lot. To listen to this interview with Stephen Kennenberg again or any of our past shows, visit kzmu.org, sciencemoab.org, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Theme music is by Jeremy Spaulding, and the show is produced by Christina Young, Peggy Hodgkins, Emily Ardston, and KZMU.